Everybody good this morning? Awesome. Well, I want to welcome you to here to Connection Church Savannah. Uh, my name is Michael Page. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, I guess uh, in, in this uh, Connection Church for uh, a couple of more months before we're all our own um, autonomous local church. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. It's a celebration, man. Um, we had an announcement we wanted to make today, but um, I'm sorry to inform you that we have to wait till next week for. So um, y'all come next week and we'll see y'all here um, for that. But it's going to be good still. So um, there's a lot going on here, just to say uh, the least. And uh, God's doing a lot of good things. Um, if, if you were here this past week, uh, this past weekend as a woman at the F Gathering, raise your hand. So there's a lot of things happening. Who who enjoyed that? Was that great for y'all guys? It was awesome. Yeah. So. There's a lot of there's a lot can be said for that. Our, our women are are growing in the Lord. There's a lot of uh, energy being uh, just the momentum is happening in the, in the life of women of our church. Um, that means, man, we got to step up. Uh, biblically, we're called to lead the church. We're called to lead our families, our homes. We're called to lead in all different aspects of life. And sadly, what's happened in our culture is it's it's created a, a man that's passive and and then kind of riding the coattails of his wife sometimes. Just being real. And so I want to see men step up and our, our men's retreat's coming up in a, a month or so and it's going to be great. I've been in the room with three or four guys, five guys that have been planning that for the last few months and it's going to be exciting to see what God's going to do in the life of the men of our church as we're going to see us, um, as God's moving us into the future because um, the announcement that we're going to make this week, that we're going to make next week has, um, is, is kind of just a testimony of that, of God taking us to, the next, to our next step as a church in the, in the life of this uh, body, in the life of this community. And I'm excited about where we're going. And I, just, I pray that you guys are as well. Um, to kind of dial it down a little bit as we jump into Acts 13, if you want to go ahead and turn to chapter 13 of the book of Acts, um, we are currently in the series uh, called Witness, where we're going through book by book Acts. And we're looking at each chapter each week about how God has established his church and what our, what our job is as a, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus in the church. And we're looking at what the church was meant to do, the purposes behind it. And we're looking at what it means for our lives individually. So if you wanna go ahead and turn to Acts 13, we're gonna jump in that in just a second. But before we get there, I just wanna come and, and just challenge you for a second because I know because I'm, a, I'm an American man and I've, I, know the, I know the hustle and the bustle of life. And I know the, just the things that we go through and work and family, there's just, it seems like our schedules are really, really packed, right? Like, does anybody have a packed schedule in here this week, right? We all, we all have something to do this week, tomorrow, probably after church, you probably have something lined up after this. There's things always going on. And, and what happens in that spectrum of things sometimes is we, we kind of uh, push the Holy Spirit out of our lives. We kind of push the, the work of the Lord out of our lives somehow. And, and I just want to bring this in just a moment because what I love about the way that we do this as a church, we come together as a body once a week, sometimes more than that just as we meet with connect groups and things. But we come in this place and we're all centered around the name of Jesus. That's what connects us all. We all don't look the same. We all don't act the same. We're not all from the same career or the same backgrounds, but we have the same Savior, right? And if you're not saved in here this morning, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you an opportunity for that. But I'm going to tell you right now that if you're a believer in this place, you are a part of the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And this morning, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I'm not sure if you've just kind of hung it up for a while. I'm not sure if you've been struggling with sin. I'm not sure where you're at. But what I want you to do is just come in just for a second as we pray. And I just want you to kind of lay it down at the altar. Just lay it down. Because we're all carrying something. We all carry pain or frustration or sin, or we, we carry the, our, our, the, the results of our, our shortcomings. We carry things we were never meant to carry. But God says, lay it, lay it at my feet, give it to me. He says, carry on, carry his burden, because his burden is light. It's easy, it's easy, put it on him. And so my heart today is that you would just lay whatever it is that you're carrying today and, and let it go. Whatever, whatever thing that you can't forgive yourself for, that you would let it go today. And so I wanna pray for us and I wanna jump in to this scripture. So God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, we thank you, Lord, that you love us despite us. God, we thank you that you have, have made a way when there was no way and where there should not still be a way. But God, because of Jesus, there's a way back to you, Father. I thank you for that. God, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for the person in this room, God, whose heart is distant, whose, whose life is distant, whose, whose marriage is struggling, whose finances are rough, whose, 
whose life is just seems to be hopeless, Father. I pray that you would just breathe hope into that person's heart this morning. God, that you would just use the words that we're gonna read from Acts 13, Father, and just, just encourage a brother or sister in this place this morning. God, I pray for the person who is not saved in this place. God, I pray for the person who has been deceived or is self-deceiving, God, that you would just shine a light into their heart, God, to show them their need for the gospel, God. I pray that you would just bring clarity this morning, God, that there would be no, no murkiness to the message Father, of what you're going to speak today, God. So we love you, we praise you, and we just lift all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I say today, I, I, was, I was telling our prayer team today, I kind of struggled with Acts 13 as I was kind of preparing a message this week because I wanted to get really deep and, and I wanted to get really, you know, in, engaged in some of the origins and different things about Scripture, and I wanted to get deep with some of that stuff, but God kept bringing me back to simplicity. The simplicity of the gospel. It's so simple, right? The simplicity of what God's done for us through Jesus, the simplicity of our call to go, right? the simplicity of us being called as Christians, brothers and sisters, to be the church, to do what we're called to do. And if you look at a little tagline under our, 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 our logo here, it says, you are sent. And if you're a believer in Christ this morning, there's one thing true about every person that says, hey, I'm a Christian. You're sent. You're, you're not just called to say, hey, I'm a Christian. Now I'm gonna just sit in church for 50 or 60 years and then die. You're called to live your life on mission for him. You're called to live your life on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being obedient to where he's calling you to go on mission for him. That can look totally different for every person in this room, whether what, what job you work at. Hey, you may be a full-time missionary. I don't know. You may be in ministry of some sort. You may be uh, anything, any place that God has you in life. He has called you to live in, in the context of your life on mission for him. And so, but so many times we get so tied down and struggled with, with things that we may have done or we can't forgive ourselves for or, or the things that I don't understand enough about scripture, I'm just too busy, I can't do this. And before we know it, 20 years have passed. 10 years have passed, 30 years have passed. And I'm like, what do I do? Well, start today. Start today by understanding that you have been sent by the Lord, that you have been sent by Jesus if you're a Christian in this place to do the things that he's called you to do. And that trumps your job. That trumps the things that you try to fill your time with. It's time for a perspective shift. And I think that Acts 13 is gonna give us that today. So the simplicity of this message today, it was a struggle for me because it's very simple. And I wanna bring it to you simply. So, um, so in third, Acts 13, what we're seeing, if you've, if you've read Acts 13 in the, in the 412 reading plan, um, or the Acts reading plan, excuse me, um, what you're seeing is you're seeing a transition in, in chapter 13 of Acts. You're seeing a transition from the focus of this book being on the church in Jerusalem, now it's turning to the church in Antioch. We talked about Antioch last week as being the first sending church in Acts. You're seeing the, the, you're seeing the first missionary journey being sent out of this church, and you're gonna see many more sent out of this church before we're done with Acts. But, but as we look at the heart of this chapter, what I really noticed is I noticed back in chapter nine and, and 10 and on, I see Paul's life kind of on display for us, kind of in the background of Acts. You know, 10 years have passed by, 11 years have passed by, and we haven't really heard much from Paul. We, we, we hear blips of him every now and then, but we're seeing this very clear progression of Paul's faith happening throughout the book of Acts that should also be true for us as every believer. And there's, there's some things that you notice. He was saved. Everybody remembers on his way, on his, the road to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse. He was, he was delivered. He was saved. He was sent to Ananias. And they were, all that stuff happened. Then he began serving. Immediately he began to serving um, the, the people around him. Then he became sensitized to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's movement, he started, his, his eyes were awakened. It was like, man, what, what is, I've been missing all this stuff. And then he was saturated with the word. He was taught the word. He was, he was moved into action. Then he was sent out. And so, so there's a progression that happens in your life. And let me tell you, if you're here this morning, say, hey, Mike, I'm a Christian. Listen, I, I just want to tell you that if you're saved in here, the first step for you is serve, to begin serving. After that, the Holy Spirit is moving in your life that kind of simultaneously after you're saved, he begins to open up things in your heart that you didn't know were there. He lets you feel things that you forgot felt like. The colors seem brighter, the days seem awesomer, and it's so awesome to see what God is doing through your life. He awakens you to things that you never thought possible. Then he begins to sensitize your heart to feel things that you thought were long dead. And then he begins to send you out. 
And so this is why this series is called Witness because literally the tagline is you are sent. And this is speaking, like I said a second ago, this is speaking to you and to me. And if you're a follower of Christ in here, you have been sent out to carry out the mission of God in whatever context that your life is, exists in. But sadly, man, this has become a very strange and uncommon focus in a lot of churches today. When it comes to being sent, to being on mission for God, when it comes to, hey, my life matters. Uh, your life has meaning and your life has, uh, has a direction to it. Your life was meant to be used not for your own benefit, but for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to use it to express his glory and love to the world. When you start thinking about that, it's hard to, to, to pinpoint a lot of churches talking about these things. And we've drawn these lines in the sand around the church to make sure that we're safe and comfortable and we've lost the influence in our communities because we're irrelevant to those people. And it's important that we see, if you look in Scripture, we're going to read chapters 1 through 12, excuse me, verses 1 through 12 here. And I want to show you some really important points to this. It says this. If you've got your Bibles open to Acts 13, we're going to jump into verse 1. It says this. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so... A couple of weeks ago, we talked about in Acts chapter 10 about the diversity in the church and the cultural diversity in the church being, being something that brought God glory. And if you look here, there's in the, in, the, in the first part of this chapter, you see people from all nations, tribes, and tongues being leaders in this church. There was not, this was not a, a white church. This was not a black church. This was not a Hispanic church. This was a, a multicultural church bringing glory to God by the image they were bearing to the world. And what's cool here is what I, I love this because we know Barnabas and we know, we know Saul, who's eventually gonna be called Paul, but um, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, this is why you gotta study your Bible, okay? Um, Manan was a close friend of, of Herod the Tetrarch. If you look deeper into that Greek and into the history of who this man was and what he is, it, the Bible says he was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Well, if you dig deeper into this statement, he was actually breastfed with Herod. If you look into that, that that's pretty close friend, right? Listen, they're, they're tight in that moment. So uh, you, you dig into this, some of that, yes, it gets weird in the Bible sometimes, but it's cultural things. But anyway, they were close friends. Acts chapter, verse two. As they were worshiping the church, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So was there power in the hands of those guys? They were like, was it like a, like a Holy Spirit, like zap? Was that what was going on? No, the laying on of hands is a sign of faith. I'm believing Jesus is gonna do this. It has nothing to do with me, but we're bringing, we're, 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 it's a sign of faith that God is gonna do what God has said he was gonna do. Verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they were went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, arriving in Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John, who's John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus literally means son of Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. An intelligent man, that, that, those are words that you need to underline in your Bible. Why, they, why does it matter if he was an intelligent man? Why does that matter? We're gonna see in a second. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and what? Wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Always remember as you're reading scripture right here, when God opens a door, expect opposition. When God opens the door, expect opposition. Expect Elymas. Verse nine. But Saul also called Paul, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit stared straight at Elymas and said, you're full of all kinds of deceits and trickery, you son of the devil, and an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight path of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately, a mist and darkness fell on him and went around. he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so, so many times you read scripture, well, why did the proconsul believe? Well, because he saw his buddy blind. That's not what the Bible says. Read it. What does he say? He wasn't astonished by the miracle. What was he astonished by? The teaching of the Lord. He was astonished by the gospel. Like, so the gospel was way more important, way more amazing than that guy's miracle. That, that's amazing. 
Think of it as you're reading this. That's incredible. But I want to look up here for a second in verse 2 and 3 again. As we're looking at how we're talking about doing church the same way we've done it always, we're respecting the results and this, this, that, and the other. In verse two and three, you're seeing the church operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And so there's a very important word of the very first word of that sentence is as. As they were worshiping the Lord. So the Lord was interrupting their worship. If you go around to churches today, you try to interrupt a worship service, I don't care if you're the Holy Spirit or somebody, a deacon or an elder. You're gonna get and say, bro, get back. We're trying to worship here, man. Listen, would we be okay if our meeting was interrupted by the Holy Spirit and the band had to stop playing because the Holy Spirit was moving? Or would we be, well, man, this is weird. I can't go to that church no more. A lot of people do that. It's important that we understand. Listen, this was happening in the middle of the worship service. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed again and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So look what happened here. It said, what is it? Look at the words. The words are so important. The Holy Spirit, what? Said. Okay, listen. I don't know about you guys. When the Holy Spirit starts speaking, I don't know how this happened. Like it says he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called him. So how did that happen? How, how did he say something? How did he say, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, blah, 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 blah. How did he do that? Well, it doesn't tell us here, but I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were working in this church in proper order. And I believe the Holy Spirit spoke through the church and, the, and, and this was said and it was respected and it was received. And then the, what was the response? It was a radical obedience. They stopped the service. They laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and they sent them out. And so as I was reading through this, I was looking at this church and I started asking, I was asking myself, Lord, you know, is, is, is this mimic, does this look like our church? Would we, would we stop what we're doing if the Holy Spirit was moving in this place? Would we trust that? Would you trust me? Would, you, would we trust each other to say, hey, look, the Holy Spirit's moving. Would we know that. Would we know are we so constrained to the idea of how a service should look and how a church should run that we're so constrained in our American culture that we're, we're, not, we're, we're too dignified for those types of settings? And so as I look at this, what I notice, there's three keys to this, 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 the success of this first missionary journey that I wanna kind of point out. And the first one is this, as I look at the first three chat, verses of chapter 13, these men were surrendered to God completely. There was no half measures here. There was no, I'm half in, I'm half out. This, this is not a Sunday Christian. This is not somebody who's saying, hey, you know, I, I love Jesus on, on Sundays and then in my connect groups, I like him, all right? But during the week, that's my time. That's when I work. In my family time, I gotta have some family days, family times, that's me. You know, Jesus had, had saturated every area of their life. The church was, was an overflow of what God was doing in the heart of every member of the church. And I look at this and I'm like, man, is this our church? Is the Holy Spirit moving in this place? Are we in order? Are we, are, we, are we operating properly in the church? Are we hearing from the Holy Spirit? Are we following his lead? Are we sending out people based off of what he's called us to do? And so I'll ask myself the question, the number one thing was these men were surrendered to God. That's point one if you're writing these down and if you're a point taker, note taker, whatever. These men were surrendered to God. What does that mean in our culture? Like you, you around the room, like if you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, you get on your knees one day and God says, hey, I want you to go to Africa. Move there now. You've been sent. What you gonna do? What happens in that moment? A culture that says, find yourself. A culture that says, follow your heart. A culture that says, you need to have your best life now. We even have false pastors writing books about it. No names, go look it up. But when we read through these first few verses of chapter 13 and we see the church worshiping, praying, fasting, listening to the Holy Spirit, and my first question is, what, what did that worship look like? What did that worship look like? I, I know a lot of men, even in this room and in my life, throughout my life, who said, hey, I'm a Christian. But when it comes to worship, they're the most dignified, stoic people I've ever met in my life. Do you know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? I, I, they sent me some videos. Sorry, ladies. They sent me some videos of the gift gathering this week and I saw these women on their knees dancing around talking about worshiping their tails off in this room. You can probably still 
Never mind. Um, but it, it, it's awesome, man, to see. And so, guys, man, we need to let go of some of our pride when it comes to worshiping our King of Kings and Lord of Lords because what's gonna happen? One day, you're gonna stand before him and you're gonna fall on your knees on your face and you're gonna bow before him in reverence. But when it comes to refer- worship, I wanna see a group of men worship like David worshiped. David was undignified, just dancing before the Lord and he was the king of Israel. And his wife said, bro, you're acting crazy. You're, you're not acting like a king. David says, you know what? You ain't seen nothing yet, woman. I'm about to get even more undignified than this. And so it's important that we see these guys were worshiping because nothing else mattered. They were praying because that, that was their only hope. They were fasting because they were saying, I'm dying to myself, Lord. Now come alive in me. And they were listening to the Holy Spirit and they were ready, they were ready to move. And I mean, if you look at the order of these events, the church obeyed the Spirit's leading. There was no questioning. There was, no, um, there was none of that. There was only surrendering to the Spirit of God. Paul and Barnabas were set apart. They said, that's what you want, Lord. They set these guys apart. And then Paul and, Bar- Paul and Barnabas, they're sent out and they go. And that was that, that was it. The plans that Paul and Barnabas had, guess what? Didn't matter no more. The goals and dreams for their careers, guess what? It didn't matter no more because the Lord had spoken and sent them out. The Lord was gonna take care of them. It wasn't a year-long prayer meeting to try to decide out, to figure out what God was actually saying. They were using prayer as a weapon, not an excuse. They were listening and obeying it because they were surrendered to the Lord, completely surrendered. There was no half measures in this moment. Jesus was their Lord, Jesus was their King, and there was no question in their obedience. Zero questions. There was no, God, I just need to pray about this. God, get somebody else, Lord. I'm gonna be a Jonah now. Go find somebody else. No, they were obedient to the fullest, to the fullest measure. So my question today is, why are there questions in the church today about obedience? Why are there people even maybe here today that there, there are people in the church that are calling themselves followers of Jesus but are not following Jesus? Does that make sense? And I talk about this all the time because I feel like the church needs to hear this message over and over and over and over again until we wake up because what I know is that a pastor's job is just reminding the congregation over and over and over again who they are in Christ and who they're called to be and how they're called to go. And my heart today is that you would understand that you are, if you're saying, hey, I follow Jesus, but you're not following Jesus, that means you're not a follower of Jesus. And you have to understand that you cannot say, You follow Jesus and say that he is your Lord if you don't do what he says. And that starts with this. You open up the scripture and you read it and then you mold your life around the words on this page. And if your life is not molded around the words on this page and you're excusing it because of laziness or because of tiredness or because I'm too busy or because I just tried that and I got burned or this church don't like me or this church doesn't do what I like or this, that. If you're using those excuses, you've lost it and your, your, your mind is not in the correct lane and you have to see that the church is, is, is meant to affirm these words in your life to send you out on mission for God. My other question is this, is why is the church, I pray not this one, continuing to affirm these people as followers of Jesus? Does that make sense? I'm not saying we're judgmental. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is you're, we're going to look down in a second at Matthew chapter 7 of what Jesus says about how to know if someone is a follower of Jesus. If someone comes in this place and says, hey, I wanna take heart and soul, I I believe all these things and I'm gonna do all these things, it's wonderful, awesome, yes, I'm in, and they're serving all these things. Listen, that doesn't mean you're saved. My heart for you is that you would know my savior, that you would know Jesus intimately, that he would change your life and you would stop playing games with your faith because there's gonna come a day where you're gonna stand before him And you have to give account for the way that you've lived and the decisions that you've made and what you have done with his name. Listen, our culture, our culture teaches us every, I mean, every commercial, every restaurant, everything you see, social media is a disease. All the, it teaches you to lean in towards comfort. Lean in towards comfort and lean away from, lean away from the the, the strife or or the pain. Lean in towards peace and comfort. And sadly, the church is taking that same bait, man, of seeking comfort over obedience. I'm seeking comfort over obedience. Is that you? Are you seeking convenience over surrender and submission? When Jesus says, die to yourself and come alive in me, are you saying, whoa, Lord, you didn't say nothing about dying? When he says, take up your cross and follow me, when Paul and Barnabas heard you've been sent out, they didn't say, oh, crap, I can't go there. They said, yes, 
I get to be used by him. He wants to use me. Not, I can't, I don't know if I can go to Haiti. I don't know if I can go to Thailand. That's just too far. I, I've never been out of the country. My passport expired anyway, so I can't go. That's not, that's not what these guys were saying, man. They were fired up that they had been chosen. They were probably like, Who's, who, who am I that you would choose me? Who am I that you would call me to go, Lord? Well, I'm not worthy, but in your power, I can do it. And they went. But our culture is teaching us to seek comfort over obedience, convenience over submission and suffering. And the effects of these choices are seen in the fruit or the lack thereof that we see in churches all over this country. That's why you see churches dying left and right. So my question for us, Connection Church, everywhere around this room, if you said, hey, this is my home, will we submit to the Lordship of Christ and be sent out for his work his way? Because one thing's for sure, one thing I know for sure, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been sent. You have been. I don't know if it's here, if it's in this church, or if it's across the street, or if it's across the street in your neighborhood, if it's across the nation, or if it's across the world. You were redeemed if you're saved with a purpose. You were rescued with a plan in mind. You weren't just frivolously saved. Jesus didn't die on the cross just for nothing. He died for you to live a life full of him. And we cannot yield to the culture around us any longer and still say we're yielding to God. We're called to be set apart. Children of the most high God do not, do not blend in with the culture. They're set apart. They rise above. We settle for so much less when we were made for the most. Our pursuit of peace in anything, guys, our pursuit of peace in anything other than Jesus is a vain attempt that only leads to disappointment, frustration, and pain. Everything. Money, career, Marriage, children, position, power, anything in your life that you're trying to build around your life to insulate and isolate yourself from pain, suffering, frustration, and in the end, death is a vain attempt at anything. You're just wasting your time. And I wanna tell you right now that we're called to come through the narrow gate is what the Bible says. But that way is uncommon and not easy. But my question is, how does the church, how does everyone in the church, people who are not following Jesus, people who are, how does everyone just automatically believe, I'm going through the narrow gate, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Because it's not easy to say, hey, you know, I might be on the broad road and I need to repent and ask forgiveness. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you ask a brother in that moment? But and also, listen, I, I mentioned it a minute ago, like there, there's a lot of false prophets in this world that teach you that the, the way to the Lord is, is through prosperity. God wants you to be well. He wants you to have money. He wants you to have all this stuff. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all these different things. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not, that's not what I read in Scripture. We must be careful of deception. The Bible talks about do not be deceived. But the greatest danger of all, I think, in this body and in the, in the body around the world is not of somebody outside deceiving us, but I think it's us deceiving ourselves, being self-deceived. I believe I'm here, but I might actually be down here somewhere. I believe that I am a Christian because look how good my life is. I go to church, I check that box, I check that box, I check that box. I'm good to my, I'm good to my kids, I don't cuss that much, I don't drink as much as I used to, I don't beat my wife or my husband. I'm good, I'm going to heaven, right? Because God loves me and I'm, he's, he's died for me, hallelujah. Guys, in the gospels, the Pharisees, Listen, if you were living back then, those are the people from the outside that you think were saved. From the outside, they were the, they were the saved ones. They were the one because they, were, they, they dressed the part, they acted the part, they spoke the part, all these things. But in the end, who did Jesus condemn the most? The Pharisees. And so if you look at this, the, that's what you had to see is they had, they had fooled themselves into believing that they were righteous and other people were sinful. It is possible, it, let me, it is possible, just go with me here for a second. It is possible for people to know the right language, to believe intellectually the right doctrines, to obey the right rules and still not be saved. This is hard stuff, just letting you know. If this is not causing your gears to grind a little bit, something's wrong with you, okay? I'm not talking, okay, anyway. So, so Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter seven, he used two images. I want, you to, I want you to see. If you want to turn there, you can. It'll be on the screen if you don't. Matthew chapter seven, he used two images to help us judge ourselves. He says, don't, he says, don't trust the world around you. Judge, your, judge for yourself where you stand. Here's two images that, that'll show you. And God's people have always been a remnant in the land. 
Guys, if you look at Scripture, God's people has always been the minority, a small minority in the world. And the reason why that is, is because it's not difficult to see, following Jesus is lonely and costly. And if it's not in your life and you believe some, you know, freely Christianity that somebody's taught you that it's not accurate, the Bible says that because they persecuted Jesus, they're gonna persecute us. Because Jesus was not accepted, we're not gonna be accepted. That's why the church is so important. We can walk on that broad road and keep all our baggage. I can keep all my sin on the broad road. I can even be a Christian on the broad road. I can walk down this, this life and just be everything be fine, but if we enter the narrow road, we must give up those things. We must give up that sin. We must give up that shame, that condemnation that we're walking around with. But guess what? The things we give up, God gives us freedom. Freedom that you've never experienced before. So here's the test. Did your profession of faith in Christ cost you anything? That's number one. When you said, Jesus, I want you to be my savior, my Lord, my redeemer, my friend, did that cost you anything in your life? Did it cost you a sin? Did it cost you a way that you were living? Did it cost you friends? Did it cost you family? Did it cost you position? Did it cost you something when you said, hey, I'm turning, I'm repenting, I'm turning this way and I'm going this way? Did it cost you something? If not, then I'm not sure it's a true profession. Only you and Jesus know that. I'm not saying that, I'm not judging that. I'm saying read scripture, Matthew 7. We can walk on the broad road and keep those things, but Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, they saw the cost of possibly losing their life, losing their, their position, losing their jobs as a minuscule when compared to the riches found in following Jesus. They did that. That's why they went. That's why they just left and said, I'm gone. I'm going. Here we go. Many people who claim to follow Jesus never leave the broad road with all of its self-indulgences and associations because it's uncomfortable right? It's uncomfortable. They have an easy Christianity that makes no demands on them so that they're comfortable. Remember, we're leaning away from discomfort and towards comfort. And we do that in our faith. But Jesus said that the road is narrow and it's hard. We cannot walk on two roads at the same time going in different directions. Can't do it. You can't walk this way and this way at the same time and then stay intact as a person. The second test, Jesus uses the fig tree and the grapevine. And what he's doing is he's showing us that true faith in Christ changes our lives and it produces fruit. So if you're a Christian in this place this morning, I, like, I would like to stop calling you Christians and start calling you disciples. If you're a disciple in this place this morning, naturally, if you're healthy, you're going to create another healthy disciple. Everything in the creation, every animal, plant, all these things, it always, when it's healthy, it reproduces itself. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. When you're a healthy, spiritual person, you're reproducing yourself, and hopefully the person is reproducing their self, and on down the line, healthy churches reproduce themselves. Everything in nature. So let's look at Matthew 7. If, you, if you're there, let's look in verse 13. We'll read through 16. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So if you're looking for some key words, look at many and few. And look how important it is to be on the narrow road and look how important it is that if only a few people find it, how important is it that I'm seeking it? Does that make sense? 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. That's another sermon. 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do, do, pip, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so I look on down to verse 21. I don't think it's a mistake that we read down a few more verses and see this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Some tough preaching right here, man. This is hard. Listen. I don't think that's, that's mistakenly put. That's perfectly placed by the Lord. So my question is, these guys, Paul and Barnabas, they were surrendered to the Lord. But what does your life say? Like, what does your life say? What does my life say? What does what the fruit of your life say? Yeah, I'm generous. I'm compassionate, wonderful. Like, I'm morally good, Michael. I don't, I don't kill, cheat, steal. I don't do all these things. I, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good woman. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm compassionate. I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I love people. I'm going on mission trips. I'm doing all these things. I give money to the poor. I feed the sick and I go visit people in jail. Listen, that's great, awesome, and good. That's wonderful things. There are some very moral, compassionate, and loving people who are not gonna go to heaven. That's, some of you guys in here are like, what did he just say? I'm just, just preaching scripture, man. Listen, unless you've surrendered your life to Christ, it doesn't matter how good, compassionate, or loving you are. Apart from Christ, all the good you do in your life, and Isaiah says you are still like filthy rags in God's sight. Paul and Barnabas were surrendered to the call of God. They were, they were surrendered to the call of God on the earth. No matter what the cost, they were going anywhere God was sending them to share with anybody who would listen because the gospel had changed who they were. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else made sense to them. Just like the message of Jesus that changed the proconsul's heart and it changed Paul and Barnabas' heart. They were surrendered. So my question is, are you surrendered today or are we still playing games with our faith? My heart is that we would be a church that would one, take the word seriously, but two, we would be calling people to him. Like, don't be satisfied with what the world gives you. The second thing is kind of playing off of that. The second thing I see in this church that, that, that was a key to the success of this mission was these men were filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm, I'm reading this and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse four says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And then verse nine says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit as they confronted Elymas. And if, I, and if I think about myself standing in front of a sorcerer saying, you son of the devil, looking him straight in the eye, the only way I could do that if the Holy Spirit was filling me, right? To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Hear that this morning. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you first have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. God, here's my life. Do with it as you please. That is the only way to be filled, to be anointed, to be just filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're continuously quenching the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're continuously quenching the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 5, 19 says this, don't stifle the Spirit, period. Short verse, who wants to memorize that one this week? right? Don't stifle the spirit. Don't stifle the spirit. The Bible, translation says, don't quench the spirit. So my question is this for y'all. Are we too busy fighting against the spirit of God in our lives to be filled by the spirit of God in our lives? Are we fighting against him? Are we fighting against what he's trying to do? Are we too busy stifling the spirit in the church today to hear his voice? Are we too busy fighting for position or fighting for, for clout or fighting for to be seen or fighting to be heard? I just gotta make myself relevant in the church today. My gifts have to be seen. Are we too busy stifling all those things to, 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 to let him lead like he's called to lead? My granddad told me one time, he's, he, was, he was an old farmer back in the day and he just, he was an old redneck, okay? He says, you can't be holding the steering wheel and expect the Holy Spirit to drive, son. I'm like, Grandpa, that, was, that sounded so stupid at the time. But now, now when I'm listening, I'm like, that is so wise. You can't be holding the steering wheel, son, and expect the Holy Spirit to drive. He was right. You can't, be, you can't be in control and still expect the Holy Spirit to move in your life. You can't still be holding on to the reins, holding on to the steering wheel. Until you let go, you're not gonna understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot draw lines and expect the Holy Spirit to move in those lines. You cannot put lanes up and expect the Holy Spirit to stay within those lanes. You cannot do that. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that means you have also surrendered control. And a lot of you need to hear that this morning. I know I did as I was reading through this. If I'm saying, hey, you know, guys, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. I love Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. What that means, what I'm saying to you is I no longer have control of my life. Jesus is controlling my life. I'm, I'm bowing to his lead. Whatever he speaks into my life, I'm walking down that road. I'm following him every step of the road. That's what it means. That, that's a hint. That's what it means to follow Jesus. A minute ago, I said, you can't follow Jesus unless you're following Jesus. You can't follow Jesus unless you do what he says, unless you follow his lead. Listen, we need to evaluate ourselves to make sure we're not being self-deceived in that realm. And so what that means is that you've surrendered control. It means, wait for it. Okay, wait, let it sink in. You are not in control. Y'all believe that? 
Proverbs 16 says it. Man orders his steps. The Lord establishes his steps, his life. The way, you come from God, the way you come before God once you're saved is like this. God, my answer is yes. Now what's the question? God, my answer is yes. Now what's the question? Show me what you want me to do. Whatever you say, whatever you speak in the next word, I'm gonna do it because your spirit has given me power to do it. So you can see that when you put yourself in control, you immediately take yourself out of God's will. And so if you have yourself in the control seat of your life, you're not, you're not in God's will for your life. Look at Acts 13. The church, man, they were led by the Spirit. They were obedient to the Spirit. And as a result, they were emboldened by the Spirit to do what they were called to do. And this is why Jesus told his disciples in the Gospels, what? It was better that he went away because why? If he went away, it means the, the helper, the Holy Spirit was gonna come. And instead of Jesus being with them, Jesus was gonna be in them. And so instead of having one Jesus, you have millions of millions just going across the world and sharing the gospel. And we need to understand that we cannot carry out the Great Commission as a church, as the big C church, apart from the Holy Spirit. That cannot be, that cannot happen. So if we're just trying to do all these things, all these programs, all this stuff, without the Holy Spirit, it's gonna fall on its face and it's just gonna be a man-made creation. And so hear this, without the help of the Holy Spirit, you are hopeless. I'm hopeless, we're hopeless. And we have to stop treating him like a sickness in the church or a bad thing that's going to cause chaos in our churches because we can't control them. Because he doesn't play by our rules or our doctrines and beliefs and let him be who he is and submit to him instead of trying to control and him him in and all these things and try to explain him. It doesn't matter. Listen, so many people get so excited about being able to explain the doctrines of scripture to say, this is what it means. I'm smart. Listen to my words. Listen, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is who he says he is. He gets to decide who he is. He's not changed by human wisdom or understanding. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the spirit form that lives inside of his, his followers. It should scare us way more, guys. It should scare us way more to be without the Holy Spirit, be without the presence of the Holy Spirit than it does to be fearful of what he may or may not do that might make us uncomfortable. That's what should happen. And let me clarify some things for you today. And always, your entrance into the faith of Jesus, your, 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 your disciple, if you're a disciple in this place, it has forever sealed your fate on being comfortable. Can I just tell you that? Like, you're never guaranteed comfort in this world. Being comfortable and being obedient rarely go hand in hand. And more times than not, God has to remove you from your comfort zone to move you into your calling. And most of you probably know that that's painful sometimes because I like to hold on to my comfort zone, man. I like my stuff. I like where I'm at. I don't want to move. I don't like change. Then God moves me. And then he changes me. And then he molds me and makes me. And it would happen a lot faster if I would have just submitted and surrendered a lot sooner. Do we, fight, do we spend more time fighting against his hand or do we joyfully submit to God? Listen to him and obey. The mission of God, the mission of God cannot and it won't be carried out apart from the movement of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is a part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. It's part and parcel to the total plan of God and his people. Look back at Acts 13. If you notice, the Holy Spirit initiated the mission. The church didn't say, hey, we're gonna go to Haiti. We're gonna go to Thailand. Hey, we're gonna go over here. We're gonna, do, we're gonna serve here, here, and here. The Holy Spirit initiated it. They just obeyed. We're not in charge. We're not, we're not leading this charge. We're being obedient to the Holy Spirit, to God. We're gonna listen to what he says and do what he says. We're gonna read the word and we're gonna do what it says. We're not in charge of this mission. God is. We're not gonna spitball where to go. We're gonna listen to him and we're gonna follow him and we're gonna do what he says. Don't miss that he's the initiator. The last thing, last thing here is this. These men unashamedly declared the gospel. So they were surrendered to God they were full of the Holy Spirit and they unashamedly and, and, and fearlessly declared the gospel. So they were obedient to the call to go. They surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They simply shared what God had already done through Jesus in their life. And they, they, don't forget 
this, this, this simple message, guys, is you guys are trying to lead your life in, in, in your faith and trying to do the right things and this, that, and the other. Listen, don't forget that success in evangelism isn't found in people making decisions. Success in evangelism is found in your obedience to share the gospel. It doesn't matter what people say or do. You're called to share. You're called to love and give the word to people. They make a decision based off of their own life and their own heart. You are called to be obedient to what God's called you to do. These men, Paul, Barnabas, the church, they didn't care about the response of the people, man. They, these men weren't afraid of the consequences of preaching the gospel. These men didn't have fear of losing a job or losing a life or even losing influence because they knew they were taken care of. The level of their submission outweighed the fear that they may have felt. Look how Paul, look what happened when Paul and Barnabas over in verse 50 and 52. If you want to flip over there. Look what happened when Paul and Barnabas were obedient to the Lord later. It says the Jews stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And so as I'm looking at that, look at verse 52. As I'm looking at that, there's some sentences in Scripture that don't make sense to me as I read them sometimes. I'm like, why is this sentence in there? This sentence is just kind of like thrown in there at the end. Like that has, this has nothing to do with the rest of it. Unless, it says they were, they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. They had just been persecuted. They had been expelled from the city. They were not popular. They might have been beat. They, no, who knows? That, but they were filled with joy. Does that make sense to anybody else? Okay. Is uh, everybody still awake? Okay, good. So they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were in the peace that the Holy Spirit provided that they were in the middle of God's will. It didn't matter about anything else. They were in the middle of their Lord's will and they were following him no matter what. That doesn't make sense to my human brain, but it does make sense to my, my spirit as I've walked in this same heart. And are we concerned with people and their responses to us? Are we scared of people's response? Or do we have the fear of man that lives in us? I don't wanna say this or do this because people might say this or do this. Proverbs 29 says that the fear of man is a what? A snare. Is anybody hunting here? A snare is a trap. Do you wanna fall into a trap of the enemy? Be fearful of a man and you will. Are we more concerned about the beautiful message of the gospel that's found in these pages in getting the word out, being obedient to the Lord like Paul and Barnabas was? Because that has to be our heart this morning because what I learned and what I read in here, and I did some studying on Paul and Barnabas' life later in life, how they died, how, how they endured persecution. Nothing would hold Paul and Barnabas back from declaring the good news of the gospel everywhere they went. Paul was, Paul was in prison for a while, as you know. Um, Eusebius is a, is a theologian, and, uh, and an ancient theologian, said that he was beheaded. You look at Barnabas, he was, he was tortured horribly, and then he was stoned to death because of the message that they were bringing. Today's churches, guys, are full of leaders and pastors and individuals who teach messages that are filled with half-truths because half-truths create safer messages and create more people to come in the doors that don't challenge people to be the church instead of pretending to be Christians. Because what happens is you start preaching half-truths about scripture, you're condemning people to hell, but you're also bringing in this, this light, Christian light, that's never meant to be lived as far as what I see in scripture because being a Christian doesn't mean I don't cuss as much or drink as much or act this way or that way. Being a Christian means you have a king. Being a Christian means you have a Lord that you submit to. And that's not a president that you can, you can mock on Facebook or mock to your friends. This is a king. This is absolute authority. But he loves you. And he's called you to go because you're a sent. And he's called you to, to love people and to give them the gospel because coming to Jesus means you are a witness to what God has done through his son, Jesus. It means you have firsthand evidence to the good news of the gospel in your life. Not a friend's life or your parent's life, but your life. The first-hand evidence, that's a great witness to have, right? This is what God's done in my life. Whenever I, share, whenever I share my faith with somebody, I start with my story. That's what God's done in my life. He can do the same thing in yours. We start with first-hand evidence. It means you've experienced the grace and mercy. It doesn't mean you know about it. You can, you can quote scripture. It means you've experienced it firsthand. God's grace in my life, this is what it's produced. 
This is what it's done in my life. I once was this way. God came and changed me. The mercy, I actually know what it feels like of the mercy of God to be poured out on my life because I saw it poured out on the cross in scripture. For me, for you, and you've given up your preferences and your life in exchange for Jesus and his will. Because nothing that I prefer, nothing that I desire will ever surpass the greatness of who Jesus is. It means that you've given up these, these temporal things in this life for eternal things. It means you've lost your life because when Jesus calls you, he calls you to come and die into yourself so that you may be alive in him. You don't know life until you've experienced it in Christ, I promise you. Ask someone who's gone from death to life in this life, and I promise you they will tell you a story of great life change. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians all have a common theme that shows us who we are and what we're called to be because of Christ. You'll hear common themes, phrases that say, in Christ, with Christ, because of Christ. Go read those books and underline every time it says with Christ, in Christ, because of Christ. And it's talking about you. And it's talking about me. And it's talking about what he's done for us. And it far surpasses anything that you can imagine in your life, guys. So my question today is what keeps you from being surrendered, filled, and obedient to the call of God in your life? What keeps you from being surrendered, filled, and obedient to the call of God in your life? Is it fear? There are people in this room that deal with fear. I'm talking about debilitating fear. That they, I can't move. I, just don't, I, don't, I don't wanna make a decision because I've already messed up so many times. Is it comfort? Do you enjoy the way that you live right now? I like my house, I like my stuff, I like everything I got in nice roses and columns. It's all beautiful and wonderful. I don't wanna leave that padded room because it's nice and padded and nothing gets me. Remember, guys, God really calls us to be comfortable. Are you scared of loss of control? Any control freaks in here? Like I know, I, know I, I struggle with that. Like it's, I like my stuff to be in line. I like for people to be here and here and here. And if something changes, I got some heart problems I need to work on. Matthew 16, 25 says, for whoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Read that again. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. It's not talking about necessarily physical all the time. This is talking about spiritual as well. Have you lost your life for the sake of Christ? God did not create you to blend into this world. He did not create you just to be another number on a page. He did not create you to, to just exist and then die. He did not create you to work for 30 years and then retire with a little bit of money. He did not create you for those things. If retirement is your end goal, something's messed up in your brain because Jesus has called you to something bigger than that. He's called you to something far greater than your mind can ever imagine. And in this, you're not too, I don't care if you're older or younger in this place, it is not too late to get your life in a place of surrender before the Lord. It's never too late. That's the guy on the cross next to Jesus. God created you to live your life completely surrendered to his will. Why? So that you, that he can express himself through the very specific and special giftings that he put in you at creation. Listen to me. You have great value and purpose. I don't care what you've been through, where you've gone, what you've seen, what you've done, who you've done it with. I don't care any of that stuff. You have great value and purpose. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. He created you with great intent that only can be fulfilled through submission to Christ. Paul and Barnabas, they walked in freedom because they found it in Christ. My challenge for you today is to let go of all the things you're trying to carry on to that you never were meant to carry. Let go of stuff that you're holding on to that are creating barriers in your life. They, they, have built, they have built walls around your heart so that the Holy Spirit's voice cannot be heard anymore or it might be fainter than it used to be. My heart today was that you, you would let God tear those walls down. Is anybody reading the 412 reading plan here? The, the year-long thing, anybody? One or two? Oh, great. God, awesome. So, one or two of us. Well, if, maybe you know in Exodus 8, if you read Exodus 8 this week, something really stuck out to me. 
is God had sent the second plague, which was frogs, to the Egyptians because the Egyptians wouldn't let the Israelites go. Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, Moses, please let, pray to God that he would relent and, and remove all these frogs. And look what he says. In verse nine, it says, you may have the honor of choosing. Now, Moses, I'm not sure if he was being arrogant here or what, but that was kind of funny. You, O Pharaoh, may have the honor of choosing. When, you, when should I appeal before on behalf of you, your officials and your people, that the frogs be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the Nile? What was Pharaoh's response? Tomorrow, listen, if you got stuff in your, if the frogs are in your house, in everything, in the, in the streets, would you say tomorrow? Or would you say right now? Can you do it right now, please? Like, is, is, is that too much trouble? Like, now, Lord, please, because this is getting weird. And as I was thinking through this, God really spoke to my heart about how many times have I said, God, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get my life right tomorrow with you. I'll surrender this pornography. I'll surrender this drug. I'll surrender this relationship. I'll surrender this hate, this greed, this frustration, this unforgiveness. I'll surrender this, Lord, tomorrow so that I can walk right with you. Anybody tracking with that? Is that just me? Like, cause I was hoping it wouldn't just be me. But listen, God's really been speaking to me a lot lately about freedom and that it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in surrender and submission to Jesus. Just give it to him today, not tomorrow, right now, right now. Only Jesus can change your heart. Only Jesus can change your life. So my last question is what frogs are in your life? What frogs in your life? But, but seriously, what thing is keeping what thing is keeping you from the presence of God today, this morning, this 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 afternoon, this this week, from from surrendering fully, from from letting go of everything, from being filled with the Holy Spirit, from being obedient to the mission? What area have you compromised in and being and become self-deceived, and you're trying to hold it all together because you don't want anybody to find out? Have you compromised your life? Have you compromised in sin? What's become normal in your life that needs to die today that, should, that, that you can fulfill the purposes of God in your life for? So are you brave enough? Or are you have enough courage to pray a prayer like this? God, whatever you have to do in my life to get me where you want me to be, do it. That's a scary prayer. You hear me? That's saying all the things that I'm not sure about that's in there, Lord, do it expose it, get rid of it, move it. That can be painful. But my heart today was that we would be a church that is so surrendered and so submitted to God to know that you are not going to be judged or ridiculed or condemned for coming and bringing things to the light that Jesus wants to bring out so that you can be healed, so that you can do what you've been called to do. If you have become entangled with sin, God can release you immediately, no matter how desperately entangled you become. Immediately, Jesus didn't die so that you can live a life loosely committed to him. Jesus didn't die because he wanted you to just come to church on Sundays. Jesus died because you needed a savior, because he loved you enough to be that savior. At the hour of your deepest need, of my deepest need, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that you can live because he took your sins on the cross, nailed them there, left them there, destroyed them there, and they're dead. And you have freedom in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to what? Be sin for us. Can we just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He made sin to be Him so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And the only step that it takes to walk into that type of relationship where He takes my sin, shame, and pain and nails it on the cross and He hands me His righteousness is me saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my King. I surrender to you everything. That's it. It takes one step. I don't care if you're in leadership here. I don't care if you're a staff member, a connect your leader. I don't care where you're at in this place, but I pray that you would not be so full of pride this morning that you would, would, would just surpass the understanding that you need a Savior. So this morning, we're about to sing one more song before we go. This altar is going to be open. This altar is not a place of shame. This altar is a place of freedom, of deliverance, of, 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 of hope, of purity. It's not a place to say, oh, well, look, well, somebody must have been doing something. You know, you going to pray. That's not that. If that happens, let me know. I'll handle that person. I do have a past. So I'm telling you right now, it's so important 
that if you know today, if you know that Jesus is calling you today, say, Michael, you know, I know Jesus is moving in my heart. My heart's racing. I don't know what to do. If you understand that he's made a way for you to come back to him, that no matter what you've done, where you've been, that God loves you and wants to be with you. And if you want to have that decision, if you want to say, hey, you know what? I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Can I walk with you in that? Is that somebody here today? Would you raise your hand so we can pray with you? I know this is bold, but who cares? Jesus down on the cross. Anybody? Anyone? Okay. We're going to sing a song. Don't feel like that's the only time you can make that call. I'll be standing out here. Eric will be standing out here. Virgil's here. Maria's here. Julian's here. We're all here. We're all here for you. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going we're gonna to sing. Father God, we love you. We praise you for what you've done on the cross. We praise you for what you've done through the gospel. God, I praise you for, for loving us when we didn't deserve to be loved. God, I pray that you would just move in hearts right now. God, change us. God, I pray for someone to surrender to you right now in Jesus' name.